Blog Talk Radio. In this week's live broadcast of The Way of Healing, my name is Susan Brozak, and I'm a licensed clinical Christian psychotherapist and founder of Healing Word Psychotherapy Services, my private practice. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Tonight, we're going to be looking at part two of a two-part series on recognizing unhealthy thinking patterns, how to identify and change our default patterns so we can gain lasting victory in our thought lives. And by way of introduction, for those who missed part one of this series, which aired last month, um, it is available on demand. Um, We started out by um, discussing self-talk, and many of us have self-talk that often goes unnoticed as we process throughout the course of our day, and when we don't pay attention to the thoughts that come and go through our minds. It can lead to mood changes, unstable feelings, and it can even affect us behaviorally. So tonight's broadcast will help you identify thinking patterns that don't serve any beneficial purpose for you and which may even be in opposition to what God says in his word. Take renewing of your mind to a whole new level. We'll be taking an in-depth look at different ways that our thoughts can affect and even sabotage our actions, and how we can learn to align them with the truths of the Word of God. So we left off last time on part one, um, going over some unhealthy thinking patterns. And what I'd like to do this evening is uh, finish going through this list. We, uh, we have about, uh, I think, 10 more to go. And then I plan to spend the remainder of the broadcast time on the concept of renewing your mind and what it actually looks like in your everyday life. And I'll be giving you some tools on how to do just that. So let's resume um, to start out. Uh, The unhealthy thinking patterns um, that I had uh, went in depth on last time, um, and we left off at one called overgeneralizing. And what this means is that we tend to perceive people to do this, we tend to perceive a global pattern of negatives on the basis of one single incident. So an example might be, this generally happens to me. I seem to fail at a lot of things. Or I always end up in this boat. Those are kind of the the types of things that you might say to yourself if you uh, tend to be someone who overgeneralizes. And you can see how that could quickly spiral down. Um, when those are the primary thoughts in your mind. Um, The next one is called redefining. And this basically involves shifting the focus off of the issue at hand in order to avoid solving the problem. 
Um, it's a way of not addressing and dealing with the problem. And actually, if you, if you ever watched any courtroom trials, um, you'll see attorneys doing this a lot. <laughs> and you may see uh, clients who are on the, the witness stand um, doing this to avoid having to answer a specific question. Um, so it is sort of like blame shifting, which we discussed last month, but it also um, is a little bit different in that um, the, uh, you, you just simply don't address what's being brought up to you. You find ways to um, sort of recharacterize and redefine the issue so as to avoid any type of problem solving that you could possibly do. So it's a really unhealthy pattern, especially um, in communicating with a partner, for example. Um, the next one is analyzing, and this sounds self-explanatory. Um, it really keeps us in our heads by intellectualizing uh, what we go through in life, and it keeps us out of our feelings. So, you know, many people have analytical minds, and that's that's not what I'm uh, referencing here at all. The Lord has gifted us all differently with different temperaments, different gift sets different um, ways that he has uh, led us to serve him. And so analyzing in and of itself is certainly not a problem. When it becomes an unhealthy thinking pattern is when we do it to keep ourselves from feeling pain. So this would be a situation where um, trying to avoid maybe remembering a painful event or processing a painful event in your heart and instead intellectualizing it away in your brain. So it's kind of like a disconnect from our head to our heart and from our emotions. Um, so if we can intellectualize it away and stay in our head about it, um, it's a way to avoid um, pain and it makes the problem less painful to deal with. Although in reality it does not at all. It simply delays the inevitable and um, the problem and the emotions surrounding it will pop up later on in ways that you don't desire. So with this one, you have to be really careful. It's fine to process, but you also have to process in your heart, not just in your head. So emotions need processing just as thoughts do. Um, the next one is over-optimistic. At first, that sounds great. I think especially in this this world we're living in now, but, but the key uh, element here is over, overly optimistic. Um, we think that because we want a person or a situation to be a certain way, then it will be that way. Um, so it's kind of like wishful thinking taken to an extreme. Um, it denies reality. It enables us to function according to what we want and what we want to see rather than according to the facts and to what really is. So you might um, look at this as somebody who um, would fit the characterization of wearing rose-colored glasses. Um, you may have met a person or you may be a person like this that, um, you know, you just don't allow any negativity in at all. And that while it's not good to focus on unhealthy and ne negative patterns of thought, we have to also be realistic. We can't live with our head in the clouds or our head in the sand. Um, we have to face reality, and the Lord gives us all the ability that we need through the power of His Holy Spirit and His written word to do just that. So um, keeping in mind that 
things just because we want a certain outcome or we want things to look a certain way, it doesn't mean that they actually are. And we have this one can can cause a person to become self-deceived, and if that isn't dealt with, it can cause a person to become um, self-deluded, um, as in a delusional type of thinking. So. Staying in reality is the key with this one. Um, the next one, um, I have termed fortune telling, for lack of a better term, and I don't mean that in any other way other than someone who tries to predict the future but does it negatively. So uh, someone who thinks that things are only going to get worse, they read negativity and everything, um, there's danger ahead, um, they even kind of put out negative self-fulfilling prophecies such as I'll fail that exam or I won't get this job or I'll never get out of debt, those types of things. And continuing to think that thought over and over again in your mind. And um, just to um, circle back to one issue that I mentioned last month, when you subscribe to these negative thinking patterns and when they are dominant in the way that you view the world, it can actually cause neurophysiological changes in your brain and kind of rewire and remap your brain in a sense. And so um, because uh, there are neurons that um, are involved with thought processes and you can actually grow new neural pathways, uh, which is kind of beyond the scope of what we're talking about, um, not to get into the, the biology, all this, but when you grow a new neural pathway, that pathway then, if you continue to repeat a negative thought, such as um, I'll never amount to anything, I'll fail that exam, whatever it might, you just deepen and strengthen that pathway. So my point is it makes it even harder then to go back and reverse that thought. And that's why during the second half of this program tonight, we're going to talk about what renewing the mind is and how to do it. So that's the good news that God gives us is even if we've been stuck in a rut with negative thoughts for years and decades, he gives us a way out of that, which is just so awesome. Um, okay, so moving on then, um, the next one is uh, similar. It's assuming or mind reading. And this is um, somebody who spends a great deal of time presuming that we know what others think and feel, what their motives are, without sufficient evidence. Um, it seemingly serves to protect us and to give us control over our environment by doing this by thinking we can figure out what, what other people think of us or even what their heart motives are. And in actuality, this is a dangerous and a slippery slope because, first of all, it says that the Lord looks at the heart while man looks on the outward appearance. It is not our job, nor are we supposed to try to judge heart motives. We can look at behaviors. We can judge the fruit in somebody's life. Is there fruit of the spirit? Is there fruit of repentance? Those types of things. But we're not to judge their heart motives. That is up to the Lord because we really have no way of, of knowing that. And it uh, would just be speculation on our part to begin with. And um, it can go down a bad path in a relationship where you're presuming to judge somebody's heart motives. Um, the next one is called ingratiating. Uh, basically, this means uh, overdoing, trying to be nice to others, going out of your way to act interested in people just to get into their good graces. So ingratiate, you can see the, the root word grace in there. It's trying to get into somebody's good graces, um, but probably not 
in the way that would be preferable. We want to um, be a friend to make a friend, not try to flatter somebody to get them to like us or um, be overly um, manipulative in a situation to try to get somebody's favor or approval on our lives. It's extremely unhealthy, um, and that actually can lead to, uh, in my field, we uh, have a diagnosis that includes something called personality disorders, and ingratiation is um, typically a symptom of a, a couple of major personality disorders. Um, so we can trust the Lord um, to bring the right people into our lives, and we don't have to uh, put on a face or be phony in order to try to get someone to like us. Okay, the next one is minimizing, and this is really probably one of the most important ones on here. If I had to um, uh, make a decision as to which ones affect us the most. So minimizing is downplaying our own or others' behavior by talking about it or thinking about it in such a way that it seems insignificant. And this can work in both directions. And what I mean by that is, if you've worked hard at something and and you've succeeded and you've achieved a goal in your life, there's no reason to put yourself down by saying, oh, it was nothing. Don't minimize it in that way. It diminishes what you have put into it. Um, Of course, you want to give glory to God for that. But if you minimize the good things that you're doing, um, it's, it's a way of, uh, not seeing with accuracy the contri- contributions that you are making to the kingdom of God or to um, however you're serving in this world. Um, and so be wary of minimizing. The other thing that it can do is it can also um, be used against another person when they've done something good. Um, if you put them down and Let's take an example of a father whose child is in um, uh, baseball and hits a home run and is excited and blah, blah, blah. And the father says to him, well, that was good, but if you just would have stood in the batter's box a little bit differently at this other angle, you might have been, you know, it's that type of thing, um, minimizing something that is a big accomplishment and, and finding a way to, maybe not always necessarily, uh, but but in some way finding fault with it, which then takes away, it's kind of deflating. It takes away the joy from that moment. In the example of this little boy who hit the home run, if he's being criticized for the way he stood, it kind of deflates him of, of doing a, a really awesome thing. Um, okay, so we have three more to go through. Uh, this next one is called Vagueness. Um, this is being deliberately unclear and nonspecific in order to avoid being pinned down, confronted, or rejected. Um, so basically, looking at this in a, a way that's understandable in real life is this is kind of like when you're talking to somebody and you feel like, wow, talking to them, it feels like trying to nail jello to the wall. You just can't seem to get them to maybe commit to an opinion or say what they really mean or be forthright, be forthcoming, um, you know, be, be honest in, in their answer rather. Um, they kind of are, are masterful at skirting around being pinned down. 
Um, and there's there's various reasons why people do that, but just for the purpose of our discussion here tonight on this broadcast, that's um, that's an element that we call vagueness that can be very unhealthy. Um, the next one is victimization. This is also one that I was it would say is very important um, to stay away from. All of these are, but I see this one a lot in my practice. This is someone who takes on a victim mentality, and they literally take it on. So instead of coming from a, as a believer, we come from a platform of victory that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. We aren't victims in that sense. Even people who've gone through, uh, patients I work with have gone through horrific abuse in their lives. I don't call them victims of abuse. I call them survivors of abuse. Um, not because they weren't victimized or violated. Yes, they were. But when we characterize it that way, it tends to keep a person stuck in that identity. People can then develop an entire identity around being victimized. Um, So sometimes people in this pattern of thought will say, well, nobody understands me, or um, I'm never going to get the help that I need, or I'm never going to be able to get out of where I'm at. Um, and they they transact with other people to kind of invite either criticism or um, a rescue type of, I need to be rescued. Um, it can become a very codependent type of relationship. Um, this, this can be difficult to recognize sometimes in people because this thought pattern can be subconscious in them. It, not everyone who behaves in this way is, consciously and deliberately and intentionally doing this. Um, so it involves careful discernment. Um, but some of the fruit of this uh, mindset you'll see is someone that constantly needs rescuing and is always asking to be kind of bailed out of situations and um, some codependent behaviors go along with this as well. And then the last one that we'll be talking about is uh, self-righteousness, which is an unhealthy thinking pattern. Notice I'm saying self-righteousness, not we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Self-righteousness is viewing ourselves and our actions as better than others. You know, by saying something like, well, at least I didn't do what so-and-so did, or I would never do such and such, or I'm above that kind of behavior. You know, it's, it's the type of attitude that carries a lot of pride with it. And as a result, a lot of hypocrisy. Um, So self-righteous people are pretty easy to discern. Um, You can tell pretty much right away. They tend to be um, also very legalistic and very harshly judgmental against others while thinking that they are superior in their actions. So that's kind of a compendium of the main unhealthy thinking patterns from last month and, and just now. Um, that we as human beings tend to fall into. And if you are looking for part one of this, um, it can be found um, on the same link link, um, with the hashtag of my name and just going back to last month's program that has part one that will list the first 15 um, unhealthy thinking patterns. So we want to transition now into what is renewing the mind? If you've been a believer for any length of time, a Christian for any length of time, you've likely heard this phrase many times. Um, And Colossians 3.10 is a scripture that um, 
relates well. And it says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So the Greek word, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. Um, the Greek word for renew is anakino. And the word ana means again, and kino, which means to make new or fresh. So to renew literally means to make or cause to be new again, to renovate, to reestablish, to recast. And this one, I, this aspect I really like, to restore to pristine condition. So the underlying idea is that of returning or restoring an object, or in this case, our mind, to its original state, reconstituting something into a prior state of freshness. So the Lord gives us the ability to renew our mind, which, as we know from the fall in the Garden of Eden, has been um, the battlefield for millennia. Um, and this is an opportunity because of what Christ did on the cross for us to, with diligence and discipline, renew our minds back to a level of, uh, towards more Christ-likeness. So in Colossians 3.10, believers are exhorted to live with a new self-perception, uh, which is your identity in Christ, rooted in the gospel in which uh, you see yourself as having become a new man or a new woman in Christ at salvation. So as you kind of reorient yourself to this reality, you're restored or renewed, anakino, in ever-increasing measure. Um, so what we're going to look at tonight is this renewing of the mind as part of the process of um, the Lord reconstituting our minds into the image of Christ, um, which is... Uh, um, what man originally enjoyed prior to the fall um, in terms of um, having uh, perfection in terms of their, their thoughts, their mind, there was no sin um, and so forth in the garden um, when they walked with the Lord, um, their God in the cool of the day, it says in Genesis. So we can do this with our minds and it's done through the word of God and meditating on scripture even just phrases of scripture, because the, the word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And we'll get into some verses that really um, discuss further um, our thoughts and our minds in just a couple of minutes. Um, so here are some examples of what mind renewal can look like. And these have scripture references that I jotted down with them. Uh, so these are just some suggested self-talk statements. Um, there's so much you can do with identity in Christ in terms of renewing your mind, and I've done at least two broadcasts on um, your identity in Christ and the importance of knowing that as well. And so these are statements that you can um, repeat uh, to yourself whenever negative thoughts or unhealthy thinking patterns try to arise. I'll just read a sampling of them for you. There's a couple of hundred, <laughs> but for uh, the sake of brevity, I'll just read about 10. Um, I am loved with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31.3. I have abundant life, John 10.10. 10. I am free of shame and condemnation, Romans 8.1. I am being changed and conformed to the image of Christ, Romans 8.28 and 29 and Philippians 1.6. I am a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 
I am holy and without blame before God, Ephesians 1.4. I am forgiven. All my sins are washed away, Ephesians 1.7. I am God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. And I am a victorious, Revelation 21.7. So those are just some examples of how mind renewal um, can begin to take shape in your life. Um, Looking up scriptures, um, you can start with identity scriptures or you can start, better yet, wherever the Holy Spirit directs you with any passage of his word and focusing on that. I am a believer in memorizing scripture, as I mentioned last time. Um, The more that we memorize it, the more the Holy Spirit has to draw from when we're in a situation we're calling out to him and we've committed scriptures to memory. They are stored in our heart and in our minds. And they'll come to remembrance at the exact moment that we need them. Um, There's another concept that has to do with mind renewal, and it's called reframing. And this actually, it's more of a clinical term, but it means turning the negative into positive. So self-talk represents a learned uh, learned pattern of behavior. Pardon me. If you learned it, that means you can unlearn it. So the key to reframing is to kind of, recharacterize the negative messages that you might have learned so that they take on a more positive tone. So just six quick points here um, in terms of reframing. The first one is start by paying attention to your self-talk. We've been discussing this for um, the majority of this series. So most of the time we're not fully aware of the negative messages we feed ourselves. Awareness is the first step in any change process. As I always say, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. Um, So start listening to the messages that you send yourself and try to catch yourself when your self-talk is negative. And we've gone through that piece quite a bit. Number two is do a reality check. Stop and consider what the situation really is. You might want to get input from other people. Um, Sometimes we just don't have the ability to see things clearly when we're in, especially when we're in the midst of a trial or walking through a valley experience. Um, Sometimes when we talk with others, they might be more objective in their point of view, and that can be helpful to us. The third point is use language that gives a sense of control, not in terms of manipulative control, but rather free choice. And what I mean by that is I change your shoulds and your have-tos and ought-tos to choices. So, for example, use I am going to do such and such, or I choose to do such and such. I want to go here or there. Um, shoulds are um, a term that I, I, I point out a lot to the patients I work with in my practice that oftentimes can bring a sense of shame along with it if it isn't accomplished. Um, for example, if you're raised in, in a situation where you're told, well, you should have done it this way, or you you or could have, you could have done it better, or you shouldn't think this way, you shouldn't feel that, you shouldn't talk that way. Um, it puts this sense of almost a condemnatory mood, <laughs> um, if, if that resonates. It, it puts a sense of shame on a person that there's some type of flaw, that they're doing something wrong, or that, that worse yet, that they are defective in some way. So I don't I'm not a fan of shoulds. <laughs> um, I think when we use language such as I choose to, 
instead of I should, I think that there's a big difference there that happens, um, not just in our thoughts, but also in the way we approach things. Um, number four, look for shades of gray. And this goes back to last month's uh, faulty thinking pattern of black and white thinking. So challenge yourself when you hear yourself say, you always or you never. That's a big um, you know, stumbling block when uh, doing marriage counseling because oftentimes some of the first words I'll hear in marital therapy are, are you always or you never, one spouse to the other. Um, immediately that puts somebody on the defense. So try to find the reality that exists in between those two extremes. Um, and keep in mind that not many situations are always all good or always all bad. Some have a combination of both. So that's what I mean by looking at shades of gray and grayer areas instead of characterizing everything as all or nothing. Um, five is ask for feedback. I think this is really important. Instead of um, coming up with missing information about your performance, for example, or fabricating mis missing information about others' opinions of you, um, ask directly for their input. This will keep you from jumping to inaccurate and false conclusions. And finally, number six, keep the big picture in mind. I am very much a big picture thinker. Um, I, I tend to um, encourage people to zoom out of the situation so they can get a better perspective. It's all about perspective um, on what you're going through. So when you find yourself focusing on a negative aspect of a situation, remind yourself to take a look at the big balanced picture by kind of zooming out from where you're at. Um, and that will help give you perspective rather than blowing things out of proportion. Um, so now I just want to transition into sharing with you some key scripture verses that um, talk about the mind and our thoughts. And I will share the reference and then the verse with you. Um, there's about a dozen. Um, and these are just some of the best ones or my favorites, uh, ones that are frequently um, quoted that I wanted to share with you in this broadcast because they're important when it comes to renewing of your mind. Um, Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Hebrews 3.1, therefore, holy brethren, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, fix your thoughts on Jesus the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Second Corinthians 10.5 says we demolish arguments, and that word demolish actually means to smash with force. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Uh, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates, even to dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Isaiah 26, 3 tells us, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Um, Isaiah 55, 7 says, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord 
and the Lord will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. So in that verse, it's talking about the thoughts of a man who doesn't know the Lord and an exhortation to turn to the Lord so that his mind can be renewed and so that he can be saved. Uh, Romans 12:2. do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Ephesians 4:23 to 24 says to be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you. And I believe I read that one already, but that's all right. Take it as a confirmation that our peace comes from keeping our mind set upon the Lord. Uh, Romans 1, 28, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved or reprobate mind to do what ought not to be done. And this is a very uh, dire scripture of warning that if you continue to reject God and continue to walk in disobedience and and just flagrant um, rebellion and kicking him out of your life, eventually a person can be given over to a reprobate mind, um, which is a mind that will have elements of delusional thinking, won't be in touch with reality, will be thinking uh, simple thoughts, etc. Um, so it's an important verse, um, but this is directed towards people who didn't think it was worthwhile to retain or to know God. First uh, Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. My personal opinion is this is a very important scripture for the hour that we are in. Um, Jeremiah 31, verse 33 says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Uh, Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So again, that this positional uh, posture that's, that's referred to of setting our minds and fixing our thoughts, those are postures that we can take in our mind towards God. And then finally, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Um, so those are some scriptures that I think are key um, when we're talking about mind renewal. It's great to commit some of those to memory. And um, in closing tonight, I'd just like to read you kind of a series of encouragements from scripture that relate to how we can let God's word lift us out of self-doubt um, and other frames of mind and other thought patterns that are uh, a hindrance, really, to the abundant life that we have been given in Christ. And so this is an encouragement, um, and I've listed scriptures to follow each, they're posed as questions, and then they're followed with a scripture um, that you can look up on your own for further reference. But I'd like to close us out on this note. Why would I need to say I can't when the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? Philippians 
Why would I fear when the Bible says God has no spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind, like I just mentioned from 2 Timothy 1.7? Why would I need to lack faith to fulfill my calling, knowing that God has allotted to me a measure of faith? Romans 12.3. Why would I be weak when the Bible says that the Lord is the strength of my life? and that I will display strength and take action because I know God. Psalms 27.1 and Daniel 11.32. Why would I accept defeat when the Bible says that God always leads me in triumph? 2 Corinthians 2.14. Why would I need to lack wisdom when Christ became wisdom to me from God, and God gives wisdom to me generously when I ask him for it? 1 Corinthians 1.30. And James 1.5, why would I feel condemned when the Bible says I am not condemned because I am in Christ, Romans 8.1? Why would I feel alone when Jesus said he is with me always and he will never leave me or forsake me, Matthew 28.20 and Hebrews 13.5? Why would I be discontented when I, like Paul, can learn to be content in all my circumstances? Philippians 4.11, why should I feel worthless when Christ became sin on my behalf that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.21, why would I be confused when God is the author of peace and he gives me knowledge through his indwelling spirit? 1 Corinthians 14.33 and 2.12. Why would I need to feel like a failure when I am a conqueror in all things through Christ? Romans 8:37. And finally just to wrap, why would I need to let the pressures of life bother me when I can take courage knowing that Jesus has overcome the world and its tribulations? John 16:33. So that um those are some great uh, some, it's some great food for thought, but not only that, I think it really helps us hone in on how we tend to live so far below the spiritual riches in Christ that we have inherited when we have accepted him in, his, uh, in our hearts as Savior and Lord and King. We tend to live as spiritual paupers when we have all of these spiritual riches available to us. So I encourage you, if you did jot down uh, any of the thoughts tonight or any of the verses, to really, um, you know, come back to those scriptures and really let yourself soak those in and um, let them saturate into your mind and into your heart. Um, And as you focus on them and meditate on them, the renewing process of your mind will begin to take place and you will actually form new neural pathways as you change your thinking. And these pathways, instead of being unhealthy thought patterns, will be not only very healthy thought patterns, but godly thought patterns straight from his word. So I just want to thank you for listening to this two-part series, and that's all the time we have left for tonight. Um, Let me close this in prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for this opportunity it's humbling privilege, Lord, to um, give forth uh, the message that you've laid on my heart, Lord. I pray that it, it reaches all that are listening in the way that you intend it to, Lord. We know that you customize and you highlight things uh, that, that specific people need 
um, as, as they are sitting in the hearing of your word, which is what we did here tonight, Lord God. I pray that you would just minister to their hearts, meet needs, Lord, bring healings, Lord, bring hope, bring encouragement, God, continue to bring provision, continue, Lord, just to bring your supply and, um, Lord, just uh, edify all who are in listening range in all corners of the, of the world, Lord God, um, this evening that they would know that you are there. All they have to do is call upon your name and you will come for us and you will provide us with what we need. You will answer. We can run to you in time of need and that you just await us with open arms, Lord God. I just pray for every need represented to all who are listening. And we thank you, Lord God, um, for the ability, based on what Jesus did for us on the cross at Calvary, to renew our minds according to your word as we set our heart and our minds on learning your word and meditating upon it, Lord. We just thank you for that privilege We pray all of these things now in your glorious and holy name. Amen. So thank you again so much once again for listening this evening. And I hope you'll join me again next month for my next broadcast. If you'd like to contact me directly at Healing Word, which is my private practice, please feel free to call me at 414-254-9862 or visit my website at www.healing-word.com. Thank you so much and God's richest blessings be upon you.